be all that God has called us to be, part of something that's so much larger than ourselves, that has a history that predates us, and has a future that we believe will go long beyond our presence, how do we function right now in this place in ways that honor both those portions of the spectrum, but right now contribute in the way that God has called us to contribute. This, this morning, as part of the message, we're coming to the table of grace. I remember very clearly when this journey of my faith took on a different perspective. It was at a time where I was rehearsing in my head once again that wonderful psalm that says, and thou preparest a table before me. I, I love that because I think of meals so often as being places and times where we gather together and have great communication, fellowship, food with family, food with friends, events that draw us together that may be around a kitchen table, a dining room table, around a coffee table in the living room, or at a restaurant. It evokes so many memories for me. But it's absolutely true that times around the table aren't always like that. There are times where we gather around the table just before, just after a memorial service and share stories in memoriam to someone. There are times when I've been around a table after having heard news at a doctor's office that caused great concern and we went to a restaurant and had a meal and talked about how we map out the future. Times around a meal table where a chair is empty for any number of reasons that leads us to reflections that are very different than the other times that we celebrate. I think it was driven home for me in this quiet time, in this reflection, as the next phrase that I usually gave a different connotation to comes in that psalm where I, I prepare a table before you in the presence of the enemies. I always liked that because I thought it meant that I get the table prepared before me so I can kind of gloat over all of the enemies that I get a table prepared before me that I can sit down at. But that obviously defeats the whole purpose of that psalm because that's the, not the nature of it at all. In fact, during my quiet time, I felt as if God was saying, I invite you to the table, but um, I'd like to invite some other guests to dine at the table with you. I remember how clearly I was not prepared for the thoughts that accompanied that notion. people that needed to be at the table so that I had to address some things in my life's journey. To sit at the same table with someone whose presence made me very uncomfortable. Who would that be, God? 
I didn't need to ask. I already knew. This week in our community, we've had some difficult days. For some, I'm sure that El Cajon seems like a long way away, but it's not. It's, it's our town. It's our city. My family, when I was a teen, lived in Cincinnati. In 1972, we moved to Detroit. Five years prior, the Detroit riots had broken out. It was July 23rd. 1967, the police went in to raid a place that was an unlicensed bar called the Blind Pig. There were a group of people there that were celebrating the return of two Vietnam veterans. The police raided, believing it to be a place that was unlicensed, serving alcohol. That was the case. They arrested a number of people took them away, and then in those early morning hours began something that most people thought would end quickly but lasted for five days. Beginning down on 12th Street, which would later become Rosa Parks Boulevard, 43 people died. Nearly 1,200 injured, 7,200 arrests, 2,000 buildings destroyed. Governor Romney sent in the National Guard of Michigan. Lyndon Johnson, the president, sent in two airborne divisions to try and restore order. I remember thinking what a distant thought that was. I knew some people who lived in Detroit because of summer camps and people I interacted with. But five years later, we're moving to Detroit. And I remember thinking about that. That it was no longer so distant. It was going to be my home. I also remember being in Detroit and soon realizing that the stench of smoke from those riots was really still in the air. I, I, I guess I don't really think that it still smelled like smoke, though you could still go to places where there were some buildings that had not yet been repaired after having been burned out. But it was just that some of the places in the city still carried that ash odor, that feeling that was a tragic, sad legacy. What does it mean to come to the table? means to come to the table with everyone else who's offered the opportunity to come to the table as well. 
so easy in the moments that we've had this last week to just vilify groups, to vilify police, to vilify the media, to vilify people of a different skin color, just drawing lines in the sand, using the word they over and over again and making these mass generalizations that aren't true. What do we do? I know the emotions are all over the spectrum. Some who feel rage, some who just are hurt. Some wrestling with anger, some confused, some put out. All over the place. What do we do? I had uh, shared with me about a year ago a metaphor that has stuck with me. She attends this church. I remember very clearly, and I forget what the issue at the time was, but she made the statement, just remember what they tell you on the airlines as they're giving you the instructions about seat belts and exit signs and the lights that will light up along the way if something happens and oxygen masks will drop down from above you. Always remember to put your oxygen mask on first and then help others. We're very prone to tell others how to think, how to speak, what to say, what to feel, how to engage. Having not cared for what's at home first. I feel like, at least in a similar fashion, similar to the enormous problem of human trafficking. How do you participate in something like that? Well, you begin by caring deeply for the children in your own home, in your own family. That's where you start is at home. You deal with your own sexuality issues and, and, and try and wrestle with what it means to be healthy and whole. And Then you might have a chance to have a voice and speak into somebody else's journey. Jesus said it so beautifully. You seem so concerned with a speck of dust in everybody else's eye. You probably haven't noticed, but let me just point out the beam that's hanging out of your own eye. It would be very prudent of you to first deal with that. Then, maybe then, you might be able to help somebody with a speck of dust in their eye. First place we start is, oh God, is there anything in me that perpetuates the things that I've seen this week? Is there anything inside of me that just by the words I say, the thoughts that I have, the interactions in which I engage, that sets this up for repeating itself over and over again? Part of coming to the table is the confession that says, I need the table of grace. It begins by 
committing to stopping using the language of they. They did this, and this is what they're like, and these are the people. The la- they language is not what Christ calls us to. What we know loud and clear from Scripture is that we're called to love our neighbor. If your neighbor is a police officer, love your neighbor. If the neighbor across the street has a different skin color, love your neighbor. If your neighbor on the other side thinks differently than you do, still love your neighbor. That's where we begin. And so the invitation this morning to the table of grace is to recognize that a meal has been prepared for you. In the presence of others, with whom we desperately need reconciliation. To be recipients of grace that understand that the purpose of that is to also let grace flow through. So I pose the question, who might be with you at the table this morning? It certainly is a celebration of what Christ has done for us. But the table at times is a very sobering place. This is our city. Our neighbors. On all sides of this. Oh God. Touch our hearts that we might be the church you've called us to be. That we might be the people you've called us to be. We're going to invite the band to the platform. The ushers who are going to help us, the servers to come. We're going to have them stand across the front and when they are ready and prepared, that you would then come and be served yourself. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. And for that we say, thanks be to God. We practice open communion here. It's an invitation to all who would like to be participants of that grace that's been offered. If for any reason you would prefer not to participate, just, that's all right. Allow these moments to be moments of reflection for you. If you would like to be served and can't come forward, just raise your hand. Melissa will be at the back. She'll roam around and try and serve you if you need served where you're at for any reason. But I do ask that you hold on to the elements so that we can partake together at a table that's been prepared for us. Father, let these moments be yours. These elements, your body, your blood, given for us on our behalf that we might be transformed into being more and more like you. 
Let the light of your Spirit shine within us. Hear our confessions. Hear our inadequacies, our unworthiness. And still you offer the invitation. So we thank you, Lord. Amen.
prepared a table before you in the presence of thine enemies. And yet my cup runneth over. Our Lord gave thanks, broke the bread, said this is my body broken for you, taken remembrance of our Lord. Similarly, he took the cup, gave to each one of them, said, this is my blood poured out for you. This is the blood of the new covenant we take in remembrance of our Lord. Father, may these elements renew our spirit Push us in our resolve. Lead us to a commitment to you that follows your grace wherever it leads. For we desperately need you, Lord, to work in our life. Amen. So how do we be the church? We've spent eight weeks reading through the New Testament, a week looking at how the Old Testament storyline is the same, and now jumping into what it means to put that into practice. Second week we read the book of Acts of our eight-week journey, and in the book of Acts it speaks about the beginnings of the church, this small band of followers of Jesus following the crucifixion, trying to figure out what it all meant, 
but having seen the resurrected Lord and encouraged to wait for the gift, they stayed together until the day of Pentecost when the Spirit poured out upon them and they shared the good news and thousands heard that good news in their own language. That good news then began to spread as those people left following many of the market routes back to their own areas, forming churches. Our New Testament literature is filled with an understanding of what it means to function as the church of Jesus Christ. What do those scriptures tell us? Well, among other things, it tells us very clearly that Christ is the head of the church. It's not your board. It's not your pastoral staff. Christ is the head of the church. We put people in places of leadership and both ask and pray that they seek the face of God. That they listen to the voice that would lead us to be obedient to Christ as the head of the church. And scriptures become for us the greatest revelation we have of the Christ that we serve. And so we dig deeply into scripture to help us to understand how to be that church. Scripture is filled with images that help us to understand what it means to be the church. The three most dominant, I think, are these. First, it says that the church is the body of Christ with Jesus being the head, all uniquely gifted, bringing to this place a unique set of gifts and talents, perspectives, backgrounds, hopes, different places on the spiritual journey, and this body works together to accomplish what God has called us to do. Another image that is used is that of a bride and groom, the church being the bride of Christ. That image actually is used both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. You can find it in Corinthians, Isaiah, and other places. It's kind of an odd one at first. Why would that be used as a description of the church? Well, among other things, it speaks of the covenant of what it means to be part of Jesus Christ and Christ's church. The vows that are said in marriage, vows to love, to have, to hold, for better, for worse, in sickness or in health, to love and to cherish, to do this whether we're in wealth or in poverty, regardless of our age. We're in this because we're committed to be in this. And it's not that our love has matched your love, O oh God, but it is in response to your overwhelming love to us that it draws out or evokes out from us a desire to love back. And so this notion in being the bride of Christ is so fitting. But I'll offer one more image that's spoken of in Scripture over and over again. And it is that we are the expression of Christ. 
So what does it mean to be the expression of Christ? In order to do that, we've got to start first at home. Who am I in Christ? What do I have inside of me that is keeping Christ from having complete freedom to live through me? How do I hinder the work of God? How can I surrender myself in ways that allow everything I do to be an expression of Christ? It begins there. And then it comes into the context of where I am. It doesn't matter if we're down at 10th and Market near Petco Park. If that's where we are, where the church of this history began, then that's where we are, the expression of Christ. Or if we've moved up to 14th Street, we don't forget our history, but we have to be in the context of 14th Street, the expression of Christ. In Euclid, it means that in Euclid, at that location, we are for Christ. Christ's compassion, Christ's heart, Christ's hope, Christ's hands, Christ's encouragement. And when we've had the incredible privilege of moving out to this place, in this neighborhood, with these neighbors, wherever we are, whether we worship in this place but live elsewhere or we live down the street and we have people that are both, we have people who have walked through their backyard fence into our parking lot to discover what this place is like and have stayed, thanks be to God. And we have others who every Sunday morning drive here down from Temecula because this is their church. Sometimes every Sunday and Wednesday. But when they go back across the parking lot or to the Mecula, we have to be the church there. And so wherever we are, to ask ourselves, oh God, work in me your spirit so that I might be your expression. And in expressing you, may others be compelled, not by my words, not by my speeches, not by my rallying cry, but how I live out who you are. Somehow the words become so much more meaningful when the actions have come alive in expressing Christ. That's what we want to be. Our history, it now goes back 109 years connected to a denomination that's a year younger than we are, 108 years, that was in part born out of this holiness movement throughout the United States, that was spurred on by some things that took place in England in the 18th century under the amazing ministry of John Wesley. And before that, we're part of a Protestant Reformation started by Martin Luther. But before that, we're part of the church that began through Jesus Christ and those followers. We are part of something that is so much bigger than this space. But our calling is to be Christ in this place. Let us be what God has called us to be. 
Oh, Father, may we be yours. May we give up those things we cling to that define us falsely. The us versus them, the we versus they, the gross overgeneralizations that cause such divisions. God, can we get personal? Step into our life. Fill us with your spirit. Help us to learn what it means to be a neighbor, to be your bride, your body, your expression. Help us, O Lord, we pray. Amen.